Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. The Democratic primary for Rhode Island Treasurer is only a month away, and the race is heating up. So we're talking to both candidates about why they deserve the job. This week, we're talking with the former mayor of Central Falls, James Diosa. That's after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with James Diosa, the former Central Falls mayor who is now running for state treasurer. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ed, for the opportunity to be here. I'm excited to join the conversation. So why do you want to be treasurer? I know you're one of the five finalists for lieutenant governor's job, so why not go for that job instead? I truly enjoyed my years of public service, almost 10 years in Rhode Island, specifically to Central Falls not only when I ran for city council, but also through my mayoralship where I had to navigate a city through very difficult times. You know, Central Falls went through a very tough bankruptcy. You know, I also, uh, inspired by, you know, my dad's way of coming to the United States where he wanted the best for his family, his children who were born in Central Falls, grew up there. And within a generation, I was able to go to college, be the first one to graduate from college, but also be the mayor of a city that uh, saw me grow up. And so the general treasurer's office is one that I connect with to be able to serve people, better help people, give people better quality of life. And I think I could take my experience throughout my decade of leadership in, in municipal government to the treasurer's office. As you know, the current treasurer, Seth Magaziner, is term limited. He's running for Congress. What do you think of the job that Magaziner has done as treasurer? And tell us, what's one thing you would continue and one thing you'd change? I always have great admiration for anyone who runs for public office and serves in a very honorable, ethical, transparent way. And and he's done that. And so he receives a very high mark from me. He's been a, a friend, a colleague, one that I worked with on many projects at City Hall with, such as moving our municipal pensions into the state system or using programs from the infrastructure bank or even laying out the groundwork for a new high school. And so he's been an incredible partner, ally, 
you know, all of his projects that he has as of today, I would continue. My first order of priority, if I'm elected, is to do a revisit of all the programs, see if I can make them better, and see if there's anything else I could add on to the platform of the Treasurer's Office. But right now, I'm focused on, you know, ensuring that the pensions continue being managed correctly, as the Treasurer has done, giving more access to dollars to build new schools, and helping our cities and towns with infrastructure projects that are so crucially needed today. When she was treasurer, Gina Raimondo moved pension assets into hedge funds. She's been criticized for the fees that came with those investments. Was that a mistake? Look, all I know is the current strategy that Treasure Magaziner has, which is back to the basics, is the strategy that I want to continue. I've been looking at it, and it's been doing very well. And I for one, will not move any dollars into a hedge fund because I think it's too risky. And also, uh, there there are high fees associated with it. So I'm going to continue the strategy that Treasure Magaziner uh, has started, and I will reassess in January if I'm elected. So I was there in Cranston in June when the state Democratic committee made its endorsements, gave you the endorsement for Treasurer over Stephen Pryor by nine votes. Afterwards, Pryor said it was surprising it was so close since you're on the committee's second vice chair. What do you say to that? At the end of the day, the endorsement, regardless of the difference in votes, it's I still received the endorsement. I'm honored. I get to join a slate of very good Democrats. I'm going to work really hard and show that a homegrown Rhode Islander like myself will serve the best interest of Rhode Islanders every single day if I'm elected in the treasurer's office. The other day, Stephen Pryor's campaign put out a statement saying it had raised more in seven weeks than you did in seven months. What do you make of that? No, nothing. I think that the this campaign is about who can relate to the candidate the best and who can the candidate relate to the people the best. And I feel that being a mayor and also in my different roles, such as the president of the League of Cities and Towns, I've had the experience not only to interact with people at the local level, but throughout the state in my capacity at the, the League of Cities and Towns and understand the issues of what is really impacting people today. Not only is it inflation costs, you know, the cost of electricity and, and energy costs going up, there's a housing crisis still. It's very scary. And I think that not only do I have a test of leadership in managing through crisis, I believe that I'm the most relatable in this campaign for the people of Rhode Island. Pryor's claiming he's more qualified for the job of treasurer because of his economic development experience. What's your argument to voters to choose you over Pryor? The voters obviously have the last say, and, and that's why I'm traveling around the whole state of Rhode Island. Uh, the treasurer's office has the ability to really impact people. They not only manage pensions, but also put forth programs such as the Rhode Island Infrastructure Bank, school construction for our kids and teachers to better learn and teach in this great environment. But there's also areas where I think I'm going to use the experience as mayor to travel around the state and connect with leaders to be able to push these programs to the people, such as the Victims' Compensation Program, but also unclaimed property. Who doesn't like to find a few dollars that the state might have and put it back into their pockets? So overall, these are programs that I've dealt with directly. I've also managed the pension. This is an office that's very clear on what its authority has and what the treasurer needs to do. And I believe I'm the candidate that has that experience to lead this office. Your experience as mayor of Central Falls, clearly part of your resume, what you're running on. I've heard skeptics say, well, the city was on a receivership for years. How much 
responsibility did he really have as mayor for the city's financial turnaround? Address that. I'm very proud of the work that we did in Central Falls. I had a great team, uh, a great vision to, to, to manage the city out of bankruptcy. I was elected because the mayor was indicted on corruption charges. And so the city really hit a rock bottom and just a plan can't manage itself. And so I was able to manage the plan, uh, the five-year plan that was put out by the bankruptcy court, but we manage expectations. The plan asked for five years of maximum tax increases. We only had to do three. We were able to be very creative and innovative about how to instill trust in government again, how to fix our infrastructure, how to add more green spaces. And Eddie, you, you run through there. You see how different it is, and it's more vibrant than ever. Earlier this year, you said that when Pryor stayed in his position as the Secretary of Commerce for the state after he announced his candidacy, you, you said he violated what's known as the Hatch Act. Why did you file that complaint? Outside of anything else, you know, I believe in honest and true government. Uh, we'll see what the special counsel will say, but we feel very strongly that he violated that. Yeah, Hatch have Act. you heard back from the Office of Special Counsel? We have not. We have not. But you filed it. Yes. And Pryor's campaign says they were told that the Hatch Act generally doesn't prohibit covered state and local government employees from soliciting or accepting political contributions. What do you say to that? The law is very, very clear about when is it violated, who is it constitute to. We believe that him being a manager of federal funds, absolutely, the Hatch Act applies to him. And him staying in the office while actively campaigning shows that he, who's trying to influence his election. And so that, to us, was the clear line that defined why we thought he violated the Hatch Act. Governor McKee recently broke a tie on the Commerce Corporation board. He voted to sh shift most of its or the already approved $27 million in support for the Tidewater Landing Soccer Stadium to the stadium itself, allowing the Pawtucket Project to go forward. Why do you support that decision? I was there when we had the devastating impact of losing the Paw Sox. It was a very difficult time for the Blackstone Valley. All of us at some point visited McCoy Stadium. Oh, come uh, on, you're a soccer fan. I know, did I'm you, a soccer fan, but, but, but I still- Did you go I, to the Paw yeah, Sox? Absolutely, I did. Right. And, it, and again, for my family, it was more because it was so cost-effective. You know, we could buy everyone a hot dog and a drink and, you know, have a good, a good time. And so- it was a devastating uh, uh, effect. And, and you know very clearly, before the, even the idea of, of Tidewater, you know, I've been advocating that the New England Revolution should move down here. You know, we have more of a fan base, uh, the diversity of people from all over the world who support soccer, I think would support a brand new team or a soccer stadium. Soccer is going to play a big role in a few years when the World Cup comes to the United States. Uh, I believe that's going to grow the fan base even more, but also bring a lot of economic opportunities for this region that saw such a big loss with the Paw Sox. My colleague Brian Amaral talked to a Holy Cross economics professor, Victor Matheson, who loves soccer, but thinks public financing for a stadium in Pawtucket is what he called a terrible idea. He said there's almost no scenario in which a minor league stadium generates significant economic impact for the surrounding area. What do you say? For every type of project, there's going to be pros and cons. I know Mayor Grebian very well, and I know that his first most biggest commitment is to protect the taxpayer dollars. And I know that that's exactly what he will continue to do. And so I'm not so worried about the impact so much more than the opportunities that the stadium is going to have, uh, knowing its 
close on the border of Massachusetts. There's a brand new train station opening up next year. And so there's a lot of excitement, not only from the Blackstone Valley, but this is a project that will benefit the whole state of Rhode Island. I saw your campaign opened a Twitter account at Stefan4RI and posted tweets supporting you. Why Why do that? Uh, look, it's a decision made. We've moved on. We've, we're very transparent. We didn't use it in any malice way. If you had to do it again, would you do that? When you're running a campaign, you know, you make different decisions every day. Uh, we run a campaign that's very honest, transparent, and ethical. And now it's no longer active, and we're moving on to the bigger issues. The account's no longer active, yeah. So who are you endorsing in the governor's race? I'm happy to count with the support of Governor Dan McKee. You know, I'll be supporting him as well. We've been uh, mayors together, and I've seen his work and his approach to many things as governor, and, and I'm happy to count with his support. Nellie Gobey would be the first Latina governor in state history, and you were the first Latino mayor in Central Falls. Why not back her for that historic possibility? This is the, th the greatest thing about living in Rhode Island, that you build relationships with a lot of people who run for office. You know, Nellie's extremely qualified. We've been friends for a very long time. So have other candidates, you know, Luis Munoz I went to high school with. I graduated from Central Falls High School with Louis, Dr. Munoz, and so... And the same, uh, the same class? Yeah, same no class. Kidding. We were in class together, so it's... Uh, <laughs> now you know the degree of separation here in Rhode Island. But yeah, no, I think that Nellie has done a good job as Secretary of State. But in this race, I, I was able to receive the support of Governor uh, McKee, and, and I've been working closely with him since back in the day when I was in mayor, and he was mayor of Cumberland. Yeah, when it, when it, in Cranston, when the state committee voted, did he vote to endorse you over prior? Like, yes, he, he did. Yes, he did. H how about uh, who are you backing in the lieutenant governor's race or the second congressional district race? That's also an interesting one. Well, I, I support the sitting lieutenant governor, Sabina Matos, and, and my friend, Treasurer Magazine. Mediosa, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Here are some other stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. The Elvis movie has Rhode Island-based Foster Grant sunglasses back in the spotlight. My colleague Alexa Gagas has the details. My colleague Lauren Daly has a fun interview with Providence College alum and actor John O'Hurley, who played Elaine's boss on Seinfeld. And Rhode Islanders who rent their properties on Airbnb and Verbo might have to pay a $50 registration fee. My colleague Brian Amaral has the details on the proposal. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Amy Padula. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Ahmed Fitzpatrick, see you next week. Looking to binge-watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. 
Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org slash passport. That's ripbs.org slash passport.